This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Hi, I'm Isabel Raskin. I run the Education Advocacy Clinic here at Suffolk Law School. Thanks for joining me. What I want to do today is talk a little bit about the Education Advocacy Clinic, what my goals are for the clinic and for students in the clinic, and tell you a little bit about what you'd expect if you were in the clinic, and tell you a little bit about some of our cases, and then answer questions that you might have. So why don't I start? The Education Advocacy is an eight-credit year-through clinic class that meets on Mondays from 12 to 1.40, and along with that, you have supervision every week. The purpose of the Education Advocacy Clinic is to represent students that are at risk for ending up in the juvenile delinquency system. As you know, education, most of you have education. You wouldn't be where you are right now without it. And kids that struggle in school and don't get the education they need end up often dropping out, not doing well in school, getting in trouble. And that's where we come in because our goal is to represent kids, get them the education that they're entitled to, give them the due process they're entitled to, so that if they're struggling in school, they can really get back on track to be able to graduate. Some of this work is what we call the school-to-prison pipeline, and that is the kids who often have unaddressed educational needs, special education needs. Those are the kids who often schools have passed along. They don't get the services that they need. They're unable to read. For whatever reason, they may have undiagnosed disabilities. When they're younger, they're just frustrated in school, but as they get older, they are more likely to potentially get in trouble to act out because, frankly, it's a lot easier to feel like you're the class clown and be seen as a class clown than to be seen as the kid who can't read and might be quote-unquote stupid. So it's those kids that we often see because they're the ones who are facing school discipline and school expulsion cases. What we do in their cases is we get involved, not only do we represent them in the school discipline piece, but we also attempt to reframe it for the schools and get them evaluated and find out what they do need and work with the school to get them their needs met. We also don't necessarily work by ourselves you will have the opportunity to be part of potentially an interdisciplinary team. We work with social workers, so we have a social worker in our office and social work intern students. We also sometimes partner up with the juvenile defender clinic, and we will all work on those cases together. Where we might appear is, just to have a sense of that, is we might end up being in juvenile delinquency courts, just was there this morning on a matter. We do school expulsion cases. We do expulsion appeals before superintendents. We are in the Bureau of Special Education appeals sometimes. We do mediations. We do school team meetings. So that's the kind of work that we might be involved in as well, is going to meetings and representing kids and schools and all of these different forums. I also want to point out that what you get from the clinic, you will definitely learn education law and more about educational law. You'll learn about school discipline law in this state. The laws are quite draconian. Kids can be expelled in Massachusetts forever 
with no further right of education at any age. And it's not for terribly serious offenses. We've had clients who threw a candy at another kid, and that was considered an assault and battery that accidentally hit a teacher. That was considered assault and battery on a teacher, and the child was facing school expulsion for that. So the consequences to kids can be really quite serious because they are then out of school. And if the child is a general education student, that child is not entitled to any educational services at all. Additionally, there's no mechanism for that student to ever be returned back to school. So there's no re-entry meeting, no requirement. We had a client that was out of school, an 11-year-old who was out of school, and two years later the school was still refusing to even hold a hearing for that child, to even consider that child coming back to school. So the consequences for kids, again, imagine this. You are 13 years old and you're a sixth grade dropout. What are your options in life going forward? So some of what we work on too, and there'll be the opportunity for students that are interested, is also doing some of the policy work around changing these draconian education laws. We're working currently on legislation to change the law, to get better data collection about what goes on in schools as well. We are also involved in the Code of Conduct Advisory Committee to the Boston Public Schools, where we look at the Code of Conduct in Boston, how it's being applied, what it says, and recommending changes with the Boston Public Schools around that. And again, it's not that we're looking to put kids who are truly violent in schools. That's what the juvenile justice system is for. But these are kids who really have just made small mistakes who are being put out of school. One mistake, you're out, and with no further right of education. Another piece of what we work on is special education. And there are additional protections under the law for kids covered by special education laws. And children have a lot of rights. Rights don't mean anything, though, if you can't enforce them. And that's where we come in, is to say to schools who may not be able or be choosing to provide educational services to certain kids, we are the ones who are drawing their attention to it and making sure that the schools are doing really what they're required to do under the law. The skills that you learn in this clinic also are transferable to many other areas of the law. You're going to be learning how to talk to clients, meet with clients, talk to clients, how to diagnose legal problems, what they are, what you see. And again, you should probably be able to do that for any legal problem. You'll be learning how to explore issues, how to do fact-finding, how to counsel your clients. You'll learn how to negotiate with adversaries at meetings, at mediations. You'll learn how to try a Bureau of Special Education administrative hearing. All of those things that are part of this clinic also are transferable to all of the other areas in the law. In terms of where our cases come from, some of them are court referrals, so the court will ask us to take cases. We get cases from the Juvenile Defender Clinic. We get calls from agencies, the Department of Children and Families. We get calls from the community, from Mass Advocates for Children. So the calls come in from all over. Generally, students have, I'd say, about four to six cases over the course of a year. And as I said, it's a year through. Some of these cases develop over the year. 
other cases, like when you have a school expulsion case, the call might come in on Monday that the child is facing an expulsion on Wednesday, and then you're going to have to do some scrambling around to hopefully change the date and then prepare for it, but that might be two or three weeks at most, so you're really going to have to jump on some cases. As I said, other cases are longer and develop more over time and are not quite as pressing in terms of the time commitment. That being said, students are expected, and I may have said this earlier, expected to spend, including class time and the supervision meeting with me, about 15 hours a week doing the clinic work. Some weeks it could be more, some weeks it will be less. But that's sort of the general idea of it. We've had both day students and we've had evening students participate in the clinic. For evening students, it is doable. But I will say there does need to be flexibility in your schedule because school meetings, not surprisingly, happen during the school day. So there does need to be availability to come to meetings and things during the school day. The types of cases, just to give you again a sense of some of the cases, we've had cases like a five-year-old who after three weeks of kindergarten was told she couldn't come to school because they didn't believe that her family was a resident of the town. And she went home and she cried for days and days because she felt like she had done something wrong. In that case, we had to meet with the superintendent, have a hearing. We had to threaten to go to court and do a school committee meeting. We were able to get her back into school, but it took a few weeks. That's one type of case. We have an 11-year-old who has a reading disability and a mood disorder who wasn't getting appropriate services. So we got neuropsych testing and we've been negotiating with the school to get an appropriate placement. We have an eighth grader who has attention deficit hyperactivity disorder that the school was aware of, but they never gave him any help with that. They never thought about smaller classes or did anything that was helpful. And he continued to be disruptive in classes. And the school is just now turning around and looking to expel him. Again, that's the kind of case where we can go in and work on both stopping the expulsion and also getting him evaluated to get him the appropriate services so that this doesn't continue. And that's another part of, I think, the policy work we have to do, which has to do with looking at alternative forms of discipline, because I think that the schools are way too quick to say, you know what, this kid is disruptive, that kid's disruptive, we don't know what to do, so it's just easier to put them out than it is to come up with other ideas. And I'm not saying it's easy to do, but I do think that with proper training and other things, we can really make a difference and do make a difference. Are there prerequisite courses? There are not prerequisite courses. There are things that are helpful to have. I do think it's helpful to have evidence. I do think it's helpful to have education law, but it's not required that you have that. So no, there are no prerequisites for this course. How many cases will a student typically see from beginning to end? I would say that the typical student probably sees about three to four cases from beginning to end. But as I say that, I will say that special education cases can continue or can come back. So a client that we represented 
three years ago when I was first doing the clinic and was doing nicely in school for a few years has hit a number of bumps, that student is now coming back to us as a client to straighten things out. What year can you participate? Generally, it's third-year students that can participate. So really, third-year students have preference. How do meeting the child affect, if at all, class attendance for the law students? Generally, I don't encourage people to miss their other classes. I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's right. For education cases, because generally the schools will flex with you to be able to set a time that's mutually convenient with you and the school. So in general, it shouldn't interfere too much. Occasionally, a child that we're working with will be facing a violation of probation, and you may need to go to court for that, that could potentially interfere with the class. Sometimes in those cases you could just write what I'd say is like a status report to the court so you wouldn't have to miss class, but it shouldn't interfere much, if at all, with your other class attendance. What court has jurisdiction over such cases? In general, the court that has jurisdiction over special education law is the Bureau of Special Education Appeals. That is an administrative court. Appeals from there can go to the state court or to federal court. For other courts, and right now we did an amicus on a case for school discipline that is not a special education case, that went to superior court and now is up in the SJC. The other forums that we might be in are in front of schools. We're in front of school principals and superintendents and school committees. What is the success rate in getting the child returned to school? Generally, we have a pretty good success rate getting the kids back in school. The other thing is that kids are not entitled to representation in these kinds of cases, so we are filling an important void because in general, and this is nationwide because I've talked to other practitioners around the country, kids who have representation in school discipline matters fare much better in those hearings than those that don't. And some of it has to do with holding the school's feet to the fire when it comes to due process, and also it has to do with opening up other possibilities. Uh, a number of years ago, we represented a young man who was facing school expulsion for disruptive, disruptive behavior, and what we were able to bring to light that the school didn't know was that this young man had witnessed his mother's murder when he was much younger and there were a lot of reasons for the disruptive behavior that should be looked at in a very different kind of way and again using the social workers in our office and the social work interns to find services and be able to provide other services and being able to explain things and reframe the conversation we were really able to change what happened for this young man. Can temporary restraining orders allow the child to remain in school until the outcome of the case? I am not sure. Different schools have different handbooks, and some handbooks require that unless there has been an act of violence, the child is entitled to remain in school. We have to push schools on that. So, we don't necessarily have to go to get restraining orders to get kids to remain in school on many cases. The other sort of piece that needs to be weighed and balanced in the equation is 
A school might be precluded under the law from expelling a student, but that same school may then turn around and arrest that same student. And once they get in the juvenile delinquency system, we have a lot less to work with. So there have been times when we have been able to get a child back into school only to have that child get there. And again, some of the kids we represent are kids that are easy to rile up. And in fact, that's what happens. And then they're arrested for trespassing or disorderly conduct. So that is part of the conversation that we have with clients when we're talking about, well, yes, here's what your rights are, but here's some pieces of reality, and let's figure out what makes sense for you. Can you handle this? Should somebody go with you? How do we do this? Does the state have a unified school system? The state, I don't believe that it does have a unified school system. The school systems, there's like 360 different school districts around the state, so it is a very patchwork. So, you know, it's hard to also tell you what, we can go to three different towns and have three very different school discipline hearing rights. We can have very different experiences based on just having all these different school systems. It's hard to predict. It's not like this is what's going to happen when you walk into that room. Can't always predict it. At what point is the clinic brought in to advocate on behalf of the child? Has the child already appealed and lost? Is the clinic the first level of representation brought in? It depends. The clinic, best case scenario, is being brought in before the child has a school-based hearing if it's a discipline case and being brought in in time to potentially attend a team meeting to be able to influence that if it's a special education case. That's not always when we do get brought in. Sometimes we get brought in at the appeal stage, so the child's already gone and sort of spilled the beans at the initial hearing for you know, the school discipline case. Then we're sort of backtracking at the appeal stage. We'd also probably at that point be bringing in if there's any special education issues because, as I said earlier, there's additional protections under the law for special education students. So we get brought in at all different points depending on who calls us, when we're called in, and what we're representing the child for. So usually the earlier we're brought in, the better a chance we have of being able to get the child back into school or getting what the child needs, but that doesn't mean it's always a lost cause doing it, and it still has value. Sometimes the value of it has to do with the difference that you make to the child and the family, that they feel like somebody is hearing them and listening to them. And that's not always a given for a lot of families. Kids especially who feel like nobody listens to them, being the person who really listens to them, that relationship alone can be really important to the kids we represent. Would you say the mass educational laws are similar to those of surrounding states? It's hard to say, and I don't know all of them. I think our education laws, in some respects, are much more draconian than the ones around us, although we are more of a liberal state. The fact that we do have these education laws that allow, as I said, general education students of any age, even though we do have, you know, you have to attend school until you're 16 laws, education is not a federal or state constitutional right, so education is a privilege. And you can lose the privilege at any age, 
and you can be expelled for what are seemingly very minor offenses forever with no further right of education. Again, I remember a case that we did a number of years ago where two friends were kind of arguing with each other in the hallway. A teacher put her arm in the middle of the two of them. One kid pushed the teacher's arm away. The teacher wasn't hurt, didn't claim to be hurt, nothing. But the student was expelled from school because she had assaulted a teacher, you know, pushing her teacher's arm out of the way so she could continue talking to her friend. There needs to be a better way to deal with issues that come up because denying kids education, forced ignorance is not helping anyone. These are often kids that need more intensive supports and more intensive people paying attention to them and giving them what they need, not sort of like goodbye and good luck because we're going to see problems in the future if we're not addressing them now. Not to mention that there's really a link between school discipline and dropout and that's a real issue. Do you prefer students with behavioral problems to professionals such as psychologists or special therapy? Yes, absolutely. That is part of what we do is we do the legal piece, but we have to partner with those who have expertise in these areas. So we do rely on psychologists and therapists and independent evaluators who can help us. And students get into the clinical programs through a lottery process. And I'm told that we're out of time. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that this was helpful. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.